spoiler log and a link to the past randomizer podcast. I'm your host, Dante. And today we are back on schedule with some interviews. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the Speed Gaming Live 2023 little mini episodes. Hope that was fun for you guys to kind of get a little peek behind the scenes and, uh, you know, talk to people randomly there. I thought it was a good time. I had a good time doing it. I hope to repeat that in some way, shape or form. Should we get to go to Speed Gaming Live 2024? That's my plan. But we shall see. Uh, League is in full swing, still in the playoffs. The top eight teams are left in the Invitational, and those matches are getting kicked off today if you're listening to this on release. The Pugs are out. We are out. We got O2'd, and, um, you know, Bratwurst Buddies definitely earned it. No, No shame in that. I will say, I think this is probably the worst I personally have ever finished in League, especially in the Invitational era. I know season two was like a much larger bracket, so I know we won a series in that one, but uh, so I guess maybe that's a worst finish. I'm not sure. Either way, uh, it feels kind of odd, to be honest, but, you know, I I would say personally, I was probably overdue for a bad finish, Uh, luckily still making playoffs, so I can't complain too much. I mean, by the time you get to playoffs, everyone's so good, but fun season overall, had a great time with Andy and Matt. We'll probably talk about this a little more, maybe on Go Mode Podcast. But today, we do have Dapper Worm Man. Dapper Worm Man was super interesting to talk to. I literally rabbit trail a little bit in this, and I think it's good, but I, I could have done it. I, I meant what I say in this. I could do it the entire episode. It was an absolute blast to talk to him. And I uh, hope you guys are ready to buckle up and enjoy his story. All right, today on the spoiler log, we have a dapper worm man. How's it going, man? Going good. Excited to be here. I'm I'm excited you're here. Uh, I um I've had multiple people tell me that I should have you on the show, so I'm really excited that you have agreed to come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. I'm uh, happy to be here. One of my top three a link to the past randomizer podcasts of all time. Yeah, imagine three <laughs> of these things. You know. <laughs> Uh, we all have too much time on our hands. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> let's let's turn the clock way on back, uh, like we do with everyone. And uh, tell me, tell me how gaming was for you growing up. Was that a big part of your life? Uh, it wasn't huge, honestly. Um, when I was a little kid, we did get a Super Nintendo. That was our first system that we got in the house. I don't know if it was like Christmas or just because we got good grades in school or whatever it was, but it was like. Partially, probably because my parents wanted to play it. <laughs> but okay. uh, so I'm the oldest of two, and uh, I was probably like second or third grade or something like that. Maybe even a little younger. I don't recall specifically, but um, you know, got Super Nintendo, got the Super Mario World, and probably like Mario Paint or something like that. And I just remember like really liking it. I think my my mom said the first night after I after I played it. She like checked in on me when I was asleep in bed and I was like laying on my back asleep, fast asleep, you know, like kids do where they're like passed out. Yeah. And I had my arms up in the air, like playing a controller that wasn't there. So holy crap. So uh, literally playing in your sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we didn't we didn't have like all the new systems all the time. 
when I was growing up, like I pretty much just played Super Mario World and like some other games I'd find I could like maybe rent. Uh, but I, that was really the only system I had. My brother, when I was older, bought an N64, but like years after it had, it had come out. And uh, he did buy like Ocarina of Time. Okay. Um, but yeah, gaming wasn't really big for me until I was in my 30s. I started playing a little bit more. Okay, so I guess let me ask this: uh, Are you are you kind of the the '80s kids? Uh, you know, born in the '80s. You know, kids in the '90s, so to speak. Or uh, I'm not sure what age bracket to kind of drop you into because I'm almost 40, and I'm yeah, not sure. sure. Okay, all right. So so we're we're pretty close then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that that kind of lines up with the the SNES and the N64, so that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I guess like, you know, what was big for you as a kid? You know, uh, if, if it wasn't gaming, you know, and it, that was a later part of your life, I assume you had other hobbies that you were part of. Uh, yeah, I played a lot of sports and uh, had some other extracurricular activities. I tried to to be an actor. Uh, I was I like tried out for all the all the plays in middle school and high school and, and did not make okay. most of them. <laughs> um, and I loved playing basketball. So basketball was a big part of my life in high school. I didn't make the varsity team, but I was like the team manager. And then I decided to uh, continue being the team manager when I went to college. So that okay. was, uh, that was actually a big part of uh, that took up a lot of time. That was like, I always say that's like being in a frat in college. Like I, I didn't have time to be in a fraternity because you know, basketball was life. So, Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I feel like college sports, especially like, you know, a, a D one, two or th- even three school, um, you, you kind of like form a bond. Uh, I, I kind of felt that playing some high school sports, you know, with, with my classmates and like, you know, other, you know, uh, I guess like levels of class, like, you know, the, if I was a senior, the juniors are on the basketball team as well. So it's yeah. kind of like, you, you like form a bond. It's almost like a brotherhood type thing. Um, almost like, almost like a ALTTPR league team to, to compare it to something on brand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you get really close, especially in a, in a sport environment, you have to trust your teammates and have their back and, and, uh, know their tendencies and things like that. So you, you yeah. develop fast friendships. So, so you're very familiar with the whole, and from a young age, the, the competition aspect, the winning, the losing, you know, the heartbreak. Uh, the joy, like all the emotions that come along with that said competition. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it always, you know, doesn't feel great, but uh, most times, cause there's, there's always only like one winner, uh, you know, in the, in the tournaments, like with sports and stuff. But um, I, for me personally, I wouldn't trade those, you know, any of those experiences for the world. So uh, the, managing a team, uh, tell me, like I, I went to a tiny school, which is explains why I was on the team. Uh, but, um, tell me, tell me like managing a team is like, like what were your, I guess, responsibilities for that? Because that, that seems like it's almost more stressful than playing the game. (laughs) It's sort of, uh, like assistant, assistant coach, you know, in a way. So, uh, I went to a, like a mid-major school, so it was D one, but it wasn't, you know, like your Dukes and Michigans and all that stuff. So, you know, we kind of had a small budget and things like that, but the manager would, you know, be there early to set up practice, like make sure all the balls were pumped up, get the water out there, get some towels and things like that. Make sure the court was like swept because, you know, the court gets dusty mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and then 
during the practice that would help with drills. There was always like a schedule. It was like, you know, five minutes of this or 15 minutes of this drill or something like that. So we, we were uh, responsible for like keeping the coaches on schedule. So they had enough time to do everything they needed to do. Um, and then we, you know, we'd help with the drills. So I'd be down there, like usually helping the bigs and uh, they'd be doing Drill so like the you know the centers and the the forwards and stuff like that yeah so I'd like have like the big pads and like they they would just get the ball from like a coach or from one of the guards like feed them into the post and I would just literally take these like giant pads they look like big pillows like beating them up so that they could get practice like uh, playing through contact you know go up for for a layup and you get fouled like can you still make the basket so I got a lot of elbows to the face (laughs) you know which wasn't wasn't very fun. Um, and then, you know, we had to do the laundry after that, you know, and water boy and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we get also get to go to the games, get to go on the uh, road trips and, uh, you know, be on the bench and doing the same thing, you know, making sure towels and water were there for the players and, and all that, uh, a lot of equipment stuff. That's so much like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was a lot. We, there was, uh, there was like three of us and then we ended up getting a fourth person a couple of years later in my career there. But there's always like a rotating group because the seniors graduate, obviously, and got to bring in the new ones. Um, but and then on the road trips, they could only bring like one or two of us. So that was a little bit more yeah. chaotic on the road trip. But you're just there to like assist the team and make sure that like, you know, the players need to play. Right. And that's their job. Yeah. Is to, to know the scouting reports and go out there and make the passes and make the buckets. And you just need to make sure that they, they don't need to worry about anything. Like they just, they could just focus on their thing as long as you focus on your thing. Right. So, uh, so are, are you a taller guy? Uh, cause I'm assuming if you're working with the bigs, either they're towering over you and you're having to like reach up with those pads to like, you know, bat them down, so to speak. Uh, yeah. or, or you can kind of go toe to toe with them. I'm a, I'm six one, so a little bit above average, but not like you know. We had some seven footers on the team and stuff like that. It was sometimes wow. you put up the pads just to you know. I'd have, I'd be holding them above my head and and bringing them down, <laughs> so <laughs> to emulate being f- seven feet tall or something like that. But that's that's uh, pretty awesome. Uh, any anyone who's over six feet is like tall to me because I'm I'm right there at it, but just not quite. But. Um, Tell me, tell me a little bit about acting. Like what was, you know, I know you said you were trying to do that. What, uh, I mean, were you a, a musical kind of guy or, you know, or was it just kind of anything the school was putting on you wanted to try and be a part of? I'm not musical at all. So <laughs> it was all only the, the strict plays, the comedies and dramas, not the musicals. Okay. Um, and I just, I just liked, uh, like I didn't get nervous on stage or anything like that. So I thought that might be a good fit. Um, I'm just not a good actor, apparently. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I never made it. I, um, I, my biggest role I was in Ten Little Indians, which is based on, uh, and then there were none by Agatha Christie, and that's mm-hmm. sort of a, that's there's there's some major and some minor characters in that, but I was pretty much on stage most of the time, and I didn't have many main lines, <laughs> but I, I was still there, uh, filling up space and things like that. Um, the, those roles are important. Yeah. Uh, because without them, they, it just looks like two people out there talking. It doesn't look yeah. like yeah. a production. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. I ended up doing uh, a lot of uh, I ended up doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff uh, since I couldn't be in the play. So same thing with the basketball. I was like, I wasn't good enough to be there. So I had to be in an auxiliary role. So I would help build sets and 
two props oh. and, and things like that. Okay. So, yeah. you know, some of the, I guess, like, I, I've seen some, you know, some school productions that were kind of, you know, huge, uh, you know, kind of relatively speaking. And, you know, some of the stuff people have to build, I think, are, I mean, I remember back in my high school, even a tiny school, we had like a ridiculous setup for some plays that we would do on like annually. So uh, I can't imagine what a bigger budget would allow uh, <laughs> people to try to build together or put together. Yeah, we had one that was my freshman year was pretty big. There was like a detective's office and we had like multiple offices and there was a little tiny like cell door that went off to the cell. Uh, and I built one of the doors, uh, you know, like the frame of like this half wall and it held mm -hmm. up pretty well until the very last performance when the chief of police opens up the door and the door just falls off the hinges. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, like, like looking back on it now as an adult, I'm like that probably needed that frame needed to be uh, surrounded by walls on all sides, not just on one end because, you know, but it's, it's a stage. Yeah. So you, can't, you can't cover up half your stage with a wall. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. You, you can't make it to code. Uh. Yeah. But it, it ended up for being a pretty hilarious thing because there was uh, another guy like me who was um, a janitor in the play and he had like one line and he's not in the second act at all. But he sees this and he just is like, I'm going out there and I'm getting the door and he comes off screen off uh, from off stage uh, in his character and oh, picks wow. up the door and walks off to like a standing ovation from the uh, from the crowd. <laughs> The it's, improv uh, stuff is always the best, uh, yeah, well, especially if you do it well. One of the uh, legendary things at uh, my high school's drama department. I don't know if they still talk about it to this day, but uh, some of us are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so was that play, I have to ask, was that play a comedy uh, by, you know, by genre? No, or, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> It was, it was very much a drama. <laughs> All right, so that there, makes it even better. <laughs> there, were, I don't know if there was one funny line in the whole thing. It was um, two two hours of nice high school drama. <laughs> oh man, the best acting, the the yeah. absolute best. <laughs> God bless all of our parents who came and saw all the productions up and sat through that. <laughs> so did you? You know, I'm assuming the the college years of uh, you know the basketball team manager doing that was pretty time consuming. I'm assuming you didn't have a whole lot of uh, time to invest, you know, being like a stagehand or trying your hand at acting even further going into college. No, I didn't really pursue it or anything like that. I took, a, I took like an acting class um, okay. because I figured since I took some acting classes in high school, we had a, we, we did have the teacher, you know, the theater teacher was actually a, did teach a class or two. I don't know if that's unusual for high schools or not, but so, so there was mm -hmm. a, a drama department or a theater department at my college. And I, I took some classes and, uh, but I never tried out for any performances or anything. Progressing through college, getting out of college. Uh, I, I was told, and I did talk to you about this a little bit before we started recording. I was told you have kind of, uh, an, an interesting day job. Uh, so did, did you kind of get into that, um, right out of college or is that kind of a later in life deal for you? Uh, yeah, it was Pretty much right after college that I decided I I really wanted to work in post-production in film and television. So I moved okay. to Los Angeles to start working there and uh, didn't get into post-production right away. But uh, eventually now I do work in post-production, which is all the film editing and color correction and sound mixing 
and all that stuff for for TV shows. But uh, so, that was so when you listen to these podcasts, you you can point out every sound mixing problem that <laughs> Tim, myself, and Fear uh, all do, right? No, they're they're usually pretty good. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that, but I'm not going to believe you. Uh, no, they are. They're good. To I, Hollywood. I wouldn't listen if I didn't. If I was so offended by some of the things that I heard, no, they're they're fine. You you so, guys all do a great job. I know uh, Tim also. <laughs> often regales of his uh his woes of the of the editing of it of the go mode podcast yeah and the sprite episode is pretty famous uh for <laughs> um, oh is that the one that was uh it was desynced desynced a bit and there was also some uh i guess recording issues on that one that's uh <laughs> I, I guess that's a plug to go listen to that one um you can uh <laughs> but um <laughs> he has fixed it so if you're listening to this you know where, whenever it is when this is released uh i, I don't the, think there's a there's fixing the sprite episode uh <laughs> <laughs> so um anyway uh so tell me tell me what what that all entails like um i mean you don't have to get super specific but that that sounds uh, that sounds like a job that i mean personally i'd find super interesting to do every day but it also sounds like super high stress yeah it's pretty stressful in that you know there's a lot of pressure um, so I work in television and okay. there's a little bit more of a, a pressure there because usually you're airing episodes, you know, you have a deadline, like you can't really push your deadline. If you talk about a film, mm -hmm. you know, Hey, you know, we need to do reshoots. We need more editing, whatever. Okay. Well, we'll push it a year. We'll push it a month or whatever it is. They, they pushed, you know, they don't like doing it, but they pushed the release dates of these feature films because they want to put out the best product. So there, right. there's a, inherent pressure to do the best job that you can do with these television shows be, because you have the air dates, like you have to hit the air dates. Otherwise the studio does not get money from the network and now they've lost right. a lot of money. So, you know, there's millions of dollars at stake for these, these companies when they're, they're airing things on, you know, the mm -hmm. networks or the cable channels or whatever they are streaming, streaming services now is the, yeah the main thing. Um, I, I want to ask this uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's something that I think I think of a lot, especially when you see YouTube videos, laugh tracks. Uh, are they uh, are any of them at all genuine or or is it just all piped in? I mean, I know most of it's probably piped in or enhanced, but uh, like, is there ever an audience reaction that's close to what you would hear as a laugh track in like a sitcom? Yeah, so I actually work in in multi games with the live audience, and oh, okay, and uh, uh, they are recorded lives. You know, we we tape them in front of a, a real audience, mm -hmm. and um, oftentimes, like the best performance is like say take two, but the best audience reaction was take one. So we'll stitch together, you know, that performance from the actor who's on camera, and then put in the like appropriate laugh, which was the bigger laugh. Right. Uh, from from like the audience, the actual audience from take one. So it's, you know, it's 99, 95% real that was there. It might just be manipulated because it's some, it happened at a different time, but they laughed at the same joke, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. The, the same joke two times in a row is always like less effective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the second time you hear something, you're not going to laugh as much because you know what you're expecting. Right. I'm going to um, say that again. I, I think that's like, <laughs> I think that's like 
you know, applicable to memes that pop up in ALTTPR commentary as well. But, um, you know, they're always really funny the first time. And then everyone's like, oh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. It just kind of falls flat. We're off, we'll often get the bigger laugh on like a fourth or fifth take when the writers have pitched an alt. So now the audience is expecting, you know, this joke, da 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 da. And then you come up with that alt on the fourth take and they know what they're right. expecting, da da da. And you go, da 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 da. And they go, ha ha ha, that's so. And they laugh even more. And you'll sit there and go, well, they laughed the most at that fifth take. Is that the funnier joke? No, it's actually is the original joke, but because they had gotten conditioned that this was the pattern and the rhythm, they and then you did something different, they think that's funny because they weren't expecting it. Because really, what is comedy except I'm going this way and hard left? So right. uh, sometimes you will, you will literally have to say that's not the funniest joke, even though they laughed at it. <laughs> so it's, it's it's kind of an amusing sort of like peek into psychology there or something like that, whatever it is, human, human behavior. Yeah, um, for sure. To see that, to see that live. Cause you know, they'll laugh at something so much. You're like, you know, if I'm going to judge this joke, cause, cause when you're watching something live, you know, it's funny in the moment, of course, like you're, you're not going to roll your eyes or something like that or boo somebody. But when you actually edit it and it goes out for everyone to view and the millions of people see it worldwide, and then everyone like nitpicks every little thing you do and, you, and they rewind it and watch it again or whatever like that, you know, then you have to sort of be aware of that, of what's a good joke, what's going to stand the test of time, things sure. like that. So what um in this process, because I'm fascinated by this, uh, like how many takes do you, you know, on average, you know, do you get to like, do you have to kind of like, you know, filter through as far as like video and audio? There's typically uh two to four takes i would say of most scenes sometimes if it's complicated you'll have some more setups so you'll just do two to four takes of every setup Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes if it's just not working you'll you'll do some alts things like that and get maybe a fifth or sixth take um in my world you know in post when we get everything and we're able to like stitch it all together the the more, the better, honestly. But, you know, the more takes that you do, the more time you're spending on set. And there's 100, 150 people there. And, you sure. know, we have to uh, we have to finish this today and we have to get through all the rest of the scene. So we're going to have to move on. Things like that. Uh, or we have the audience who's like falling asleep because we take we start our tapings in the in the late afternoon or early evening. So we don't want to be filming until like three in the morning. So we have to sure. you know, have a natural endpoint to to get the audience out and to stop paying all the crew overtime. Sure. I was going to say like, it's probably very like different as far as like, you know, if it's a 20 to 30 minute sitcom or something like having a live audience, like it could, you know, I'd assume filming could be, you know, a couple hours to, you know, multiple depending on, you know, how things go. It depends on the complexity too. how many, uh, how many characters are in each scene, you know, things like that. Uh, right. And that's specifically multicams, like in a single camera television show or in a film, there's often they usually shoot about 12 hour days and they'll only get through about four or five pages, maybe six or seven or eight on a good day uh, mm-hmm. if it's a less complex scene. So they, you know, if there's one camera or maybe maybe two sometimes and they're 
you know, they have to do all the lighting for all the setup. There's a lot of downtime. Then they film it and they do it again and again and again. They, they might get 10 or 12 takes on a, on a film of, a, of yeah. one angle. And then they go and do the other angles. They do the reverse coverage of the other person and that, and then there's a lot of time in between and it's a lot more complicated in my multicam world. You know, we have four cameras running at the same time. And so every angle that you would want is almost always there somewhere. You just have to find it. Gotcha. Yeah. And that, that, that seems like it would be a little more streamlined, um, you know, especially for, for you in, in the post in, um, I guess like, are you, uh, I, I'm sorry, I keep going down this. It's just so fascinating to me. Like, are you good? But so like, if you're doing a live show from your perspective, like, are you just kind of sitting at a computer, like, or like, you know, or 20 monitors in front of you, like watching all this, like, uh, thinking about how you're going to, or planning ahead, how you want to edit this, like which takes were the best. Like, are you taking notes the whole time? Yeah. Well, we're filming. I'm usually there at video village with the director and producers and it's sort of being edited in my head. Okay. Uh, or I'm sort of keeping tabs on, you know, what coverage we didn't get for a line or something like that, or the camera is moving. So we have to make sure we can have that clean, you know, Oh, we did only two takes, but, on one of the takes or both the takes, the camera was moving on that person's line. So keeping that in my head, but there's also someone who's called the script supervisor, who's keeping track of all that as well. And they often are looking at the same things I'm looking at, but mainly they're looking at, did they say all the words correctly? So they're not okay. really thinking about the uh, production value, you know, of the, you know, was, was there a light flickering? Maybe they didn't notice that because they were just kind of reading along with the script. Right. Um, things like that. And the, you know, we have the director who's hopefully making sure the cameras are pointed in the right place. And there's, there's a lot of people there. And I, I would say the more people, the better, because the more eyes you have, the more chances you have that somebody can catch something that went wrong. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it just, yeah. it kind of blows my mind, like how, I mean, I feel like I'm getting maybe tip of the iceberg, but hearing like how in depth, you know, the behind the scenes stuff is, I've, I've never been out west you know to to go you know be a tourist and then watch you know the filming of of any form of tv show uh i've heard about it but you know not not to this level of detail and i i don't know it's just super fascinating to me Uh, i could probably get you to talk about this for (laughs) for the whole episode but it is because you know when when you watch television show you're just in in that world you know you're watching friends yeah. they're in the coffee shop you know things like that like you're invest you know you're not thinking about anything else and in fact if you are thinking about that we haven't done our job correctly so it makes sense if you ever the closest thing i could say is you if you've been to like a concert or things like that and you mm-hmm. and there's a video board of it um and you can see you know the different angles they're going to and maybe sometime you're like kind of looking off in the distance and you see a bunch of the cameras or stuff like that or maybe even like a, a basketball game or something like that. If you go and there's a jumbotron right. up there and you, you're like, so sometimes you catch yourself like watching the, uh, <laughs> watching the, the jumbotron instead of seeing, watching the, the action. Maybe you're so far away that the screen is a better view, <laughs> but you know, it's sort of like that. Like you think about that, that live thing. You're if you, if you just take a moment, you're like, wow, there's hundreds of people working to put that little video up there, but there's, you know, the five guys on the, on the court or there's the band up there or whatever it is. Um, that we're all focused on. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've done that, you, you know, I, I've worked for like, a, I've worked for a minor league baseball team and did a really terrible video production job, uh, you know, to put it lightly. Um, you know, we had, we had camera, cameras and stuff held together with like 
bubble gum and duct tape is what we used to say. But, uh, you know, but it works for, you know, a tiny team. But like, yeah. you know, the stuff when you go to, you know, a big sporting event, like you were saying, I, I've definitely caught myself like following the action on the Jumbotron. So, uh, you know, I kind of I kind of follow what you're saying there as far as like being immersed into it or kind of getting sucked into it uh, where that being, you know, correlating to a good job. And yeah, if you ever make it to Los Angeles, you can come on out. You can maybe come to a show that I am working on or or if I'm not in a show working on a show, you can get you in some other show that uh, is filming. And, you know, that goes to anybody from LinkedIn Pass or Randomizer community would love to. If anyone ever comes to L.A., they can definitely come see a show and, and see the behind the scenes part of it if they want to. Awesome. That the DMs are going to be blowing up now. I know I can, <laughs> yeah. can feel it already. Uh, can can are you allowed to say or do you feel comfortable saying like what shows? I, I guess like you know anything notable that like that, that you work on or is that kind of like not not able to be said? Oh no, I can. Yeah, I've I've worked on some shows that hopefully everyone's seen. Uh, I'm really excited because the show I'm, I'm starting soon is that '90s show, which is a reboot of that oh, '70s show. So. Okay. You know, yeah. kind of, kind of ticks the um, the nostalgia for me because when I went into the interview, they said, you know, well, tell us about yourself. I said, I, I'm a kid who grew up in the '90s in Wisconsin, and they said, great, this show is set in the '90s in Wisconsin. That's uh, that's great. You can uh, do you want to? When can you start? <laughs> so, Did they ask you to be a writer at that point, or uh? <laughs> no? So, um, you know, uh, if you haven't seen that '70s show, it it takes place in the seventies, but the show came out in the nineties. And mm-hmm. uh, so now there's a, a show on Netflix, I think going into season two, that is going to be take, takes place in the nineties. And I'll see if I can get them to like put in a super Nintendo in the background. Maybe that would just, uh, you know, make oh, a comfortable dude. circle for me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Put, make sure you accidentally put like an FX pack in it instead of, uh, you know, like a cartridge or something yeah. that would, that would, uh, really, um, you know, all the random acronism in there. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I'll see if they can get a uh, link to the past. Uh, yeah, get that Super Nintendo link to the past in there. <laughs> awesome. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit to, uh, you know, I guess randomizer. You know, I'm, since you're still doing the, you know, the, the editing job, you've, you've clearly been doing that for a while, or at least in the industry. Uh, when did you, I, I guess you said your 30s, you picked up gaming. Is that when you like found rando or did you find something else that kind of, you know, grabbed your attention uh, in your 30s? Well, I, I did play A Link to the Past when I was growing up, and it was my favorite game. I kind of skimmed over that a little bit in my uh, okay. history. I, I approve of it being a favorite game. 100%. Yeah. Uh, that was one game that we... I definitely borrowed it from a friend or watched him play it and then took it home. And then uh, he was like, I need that back. I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to go buy one of these. So I, I gave it back to him and bought my own copy. <laughs> Um, so it, it was always like my favorite game. And I remember like struggling with a lot of it because some of it was kind of tough. Uh, and no one ever remembers this, but they came with like a little tiny black book. It was like two inches by three inches. And it was like, only open this if you want hints. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, okay. look, I can't open this book. I can't open it. Or maybe it was like a, a thing they sold like at the counter that was separate from the game. But I just remember having it and the one thing I remember was we were my dad and I were playing it and we we couldn't figure out how to get into Turtle Rock and we had to open up the book for that hint to of how to 
hit the pegs and get into the dark world and activate quake. I don't even know if we had quake to be honest, <laughs> um, but I, I remember that. And I just like love the puzzle aspect of it. Like I, I remember taking road trips as a kid and I had a notebook and I would like make my own Zelda dungeons. I would just draw like big, big, um, big maps of rooms. And I was like, Oh yeah. And you go here and here's a key. And they were probably just like, Wow. Basically copies of the Link to the Past dungeons, but I was like, oh, I made my own dungeons. So we when I was uh in college, if I had I um some free time, I was like, Well, I've got like all day free and I've got nothing to do. Uh I would like boot up my emulator on my computer and I would just play a link to the past because it was my favorite game from growing up. Sure. And yeah. um so I I um the way I would play it was I'm going to find every chest in the entire game. And because that, that was like kind of how I liked playing games was finding all the secrets. So, you know, like in Eastern, you know, you don't need to get the hundred dollars that's in cannonball chest, but I got that. And then I got the map and I got the compass and, you know, I was like, you can't beat the, you can't beat the boss to get every chest open, all the keys, all that stuff. Um, to like, the nth degree because I would end every seed on 20 hearts, uh, uh, red mail, gold sword, silver arrows, all that stuff. Like I found every chest in the game. Um, Wow. Never set any 100% records, but but I definitely like played everything. The dumbest thing I ever did was in Ganon's Tower, you know, you go left or right to get to the big key room, right? And I was like, okay, so you go all the way to the left, you get the big key, then you go all the way to the right, and then go to the big chest because I was like, you have to get you have to get those chests over there. That's how you play the game. You have to get yeah. the compass. <laughs> uh, and then I would climb Ganon's Tower. So it was like, I didn't even just get the twenty hearts and all the upgrades. Like I got every stupid little like three item, three bombs in a chest and the single rupee, all that stuff. Yeah. So so um, I, I say all that because when I found out about a link to the past randomizer i was like oh well that'll be easy because i know where all the chests are <laughs> like like i know <laughs> yeah. this game backwards and forwards so like going into randomizer uh would be fun to watch or to play for me because i, I the learning curve is going to be easy for me because i know where all the chests are so so was it as easy as, as you <laughs> thought it was going to be um i think yeah i think it was easy because when I uh, when I found out about Link to Pass Randomizer, it was some website that said, you know, there's some things happening with randomize uh, with the Link to the Past. You know, you won't believe what it is. I was like, oh, this is some clickbait, but let me click on this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, randomizer. I was like, what is that? Like, I had no idea of the concept of a randomizer in a video game or whatever. So right. I just like went on YouTube and searched a Link to the Past Randomizer, and found a race and I just like watched this race and I'm like, yep, there's a chest there. Yep. There's a chest there. Okay. Yep. 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 And I like, you know, had a a, kind of processing it. Yeah. It was, I was not confused by the game, like by what the runners were doing, you know? Um, Right. And I I think I was somewhat aware of that, that I knew too much about the game. (laughs) So uh, I was like, this will, this will be fun. Uh, And then, uh, it recommended or I found on YouTube a uh, a stream from Andy 
that said like how to find every check in randomizer. <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Well I'll watch this in case there's something I didn't know. And I watched his thing and he basically like went through a seed and was like going slow. And he was just like explaining things and like showing the map or whatever, like, right. Uh, and, I, and the only thing I learned from that, uh, maybe I got reminded of, of a couple things that I forgot that I knew, but the only thing I learned from that was random room in GT. I, I had no idea that that existed. Okay. And so you didn't, I was going to say, did you find rando room as a kid? So I, I'm assuming no. not. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I, that's, I guess it's, it's very aptly apt. named. I was going to say yeah. it's aptly named. Yeah. Uh, cause I even knew the way to take the portals. That was the fastest way. Cause you know, the way you take the portals to get to rando room, uh, is extra portals that you wouldn't use in the NMG run. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to go that way. That, that way is slow. Um, <laughs> If you, especially if you're just trying to go get that big key. Yeah, sometimes that'll come up uh, if you're doing a co-op mode and your teammate says, there's nothing in Rando Room. You can Rando just go room, right, yeah. right to Bob's Chester River. So what do you know what year, I guess? Uh, I'm assuming maybe 2017, 2018, you know, if we're, if we're seeing Andy tutorial videos. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I found out about Rando in December 2018. Okay. And... Uh, like I said, I, 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 w I went on YouTube. I didn't even go on Google or whatever search engine. I just went on YouTube because I was like, that's how you found videos is you just search on YouTube. And I found a race. I was like, oh, a race. Like, I didn't know you could race it. Like, I thought it would just be fun to play. And it was, mm -hmm. so this is December of 2018. And it was a video of a spring 2018 tournament because, you know, speed gaming has so many videos that they're not uploading them every day. They go in batches, right? Like they're yeah. six months behind or whatever. So I'm like watching this race and I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. This is so cool. And then like halfway through, I'm like spring. What is, what is spring 2018? That's so that's long ago. <laughs> um, but there was just so many videos up there that it didn't matter because I was so new to it. I didn't care if it was live or old or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I don't know when Andy's video had been posted, but yeah, this was very late 2018 that I was, that I was watching these videos. Um, yeah. And then I was like, I think I was like, I'm not going to play this yet. And then like a couple of days later, I was like, I have to, I have to figure out how to play this and spend some time doing that. But then I continue, I continued to just watch races on YouTube that were from, I guess the speed gaming archive, because I remember in like spring of 2019, all the fall 2018 started popping up and I'm like, oh yeah, like that new tournament, that new tournament that I heard about. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm watching these videos and I'm like, I'm like setting alerts. I'm like, please upload like, like who's going to make the finals? Who's like finals game one, game two, like, you know, and little did I know oh, that yeah. if I just, if I just went on the Twitch page, I could probably have watched them, <laughs> but. Oh Yeah. It'd have been a little harder to find them, obviously, without them being highlighted. You have to do the whole like past broadcast yeah. thing. I mean, maybe they but, maybe they weren't, but I definitely didn't look at all. I was like, oh no, YouTube is the way that you watch these races from six months ago. <laughs> oh yeah. So what made you, I guess, like as a viewer, uh, kind of, you know, I'll say dabbling in considering playing, what made you decide to take the plunge and then obviously like come into the racing scene as well? Yeah, when I first started downloading seeds to play. So late 2018, early 19, I was just playing on my own and would just generate things or I would use the uh, daily challenges that they had on the 
Discord mm-hmm. and on the main page. I think I just found them on the main a link to the past randomizer dot com website. Um, okay. And I didn't even like know that Discord was a thing. I just was on some website that said daily challenge. And that kind of randomized it was almost mystery light. Like it would randomize what modes it was, but it would tell you the mm-hmm. mode and the goal and all that. And so I would play a few opens or whatever just to like get into it and then started playing those daily challenges to to start experimenting with other modes. Right. Um, and it's a I good way just, to experience them for sure. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, that was the first time I played inverted or crossed entrance or something like that was from a daily challenge. Um, and then I, I had no interest in participating in races or anything like that mm-hmm. or, or streaming or anything like that because, um, I was working a lot, you know, I was working 12, 13 hour days and uh, yeah, like not having a lot of time on weekends and things like that. So didn't really right. want to get into it. Um, but through, I guess I was like found out, I found the, like the discord, I found the GoMod podcast and things like that. And I started to get like more like hyped about competing and things mm-hmm. like that. I was still like kind of busy and, and wasn't really into it. Uh, and I heard, and I just heard about, everyone would complain either on the races or maybe there'd be some aside on the go mode podcast about like how complicated SRL was to the like racing platform where you, Oh yeah. You know, the, the race room and all that. <laughs> and I was like, well, that doesn't sound like fun at all. Like I just want to play the, play the game and have fun. And then, you know, or take yeah. a pause. Like, like I would play like an hour, pause the game, you know, play the next day or something like that. Um, gotcha. Yeah, like uh, we didn't do a good job of selling, you know, SRL. Like this is how we race. It sucks. You know, it's like the the best yeah. way. I mean, it did to be fully honest, but like yeah. not the not the best way to sell it to make people want to be a part of it. <laughs> right. And then because it because I found GoMo podcast so late, I it wasn't really like topical. Like I was listening to it because it which was telling every way to go through the dungeon, you know, key logic and things like that. Even though right. I think they were talking about since it was so old, it was, I mean, so old to me, it was old logic. It was like V29 instead of V30 or whatever it was uh, when I started playing. But some of the concepts still helped uh, me like learn, you know, like the, they did their job. (laughs) You guys did your job. Um, That was before my time. So I I can't, (laughs) I can't take any credit for that. I was, I've told Tim this, but like some of those episodes that I, I was listening to those as kind of a fresh player and just being like, man, I know more than you do right now. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, and that, that's kind of how I felt sometimes, but it, it's almost like watching speed gaming chat, but I was like, I'm not going to say anything in discord. That's not my place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I ended up catching up on them around March of 2020 when the world shut down. <laughs> okay. And uh, so I, I caught up to them pretty quickly because I wasn't working because my mm-hmm. whole industry shut down basically. And uh, then the, I heard about the mentor tournament and I was like, oh, like if there's a mentor tournament, like I don't know if I need help, like setting up and playing, like I was getting consistent, like around two hours and open. So I was like, you know, good, not great. Right. Um, but I was like, I could definitely learn from some people. And then I, I basically joined cause I was like, someone please tell me how to, how to stream to Twitch and how to join SRL. <laughs> Because I was like, I try, I kind of, I tried to figure it out, but I was like, I'm a little confused on some of these things. Twitch wasn't too hard, but the SRL thing, I was like, this is a lot. 
Um, so I, I joined that with the hope that someone would like just walk me through that one day because I didn't know anybody in the community. And uh, like the day before the pairings were announced, it was the, the announcement came out that racetime.gg had been created and that go mode podcast would be using racetime.gg for all their races. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and, so and, and I never had to learn rejoiced. SRL. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that I figured out in about five minutes how to connect my Twitch and all that. And, and at that point I had to like downloaded OBS or whatever. I, I don't even think I used OBS. Maybe it was something else, uh, which I don't use anymore. And, um, right. Uh, and so I, I had figured out how to stream by that point and uh, didn't, didn't really need a lot of instruction, but I learned, I did learn a lot in the mentor tournament and had a good time and never looked back. I mean, yeah, having a good time is, is kind of what's important and, and, and the learning, you know, it, it is a teaching tournament after all. Um, how, how, how was your experience in, in that specific tournament? Um, like, I mean, you said you had a good time and, you know, you're still playing at least, you know, to this day right now, but uh, you know, did you, did you feel like you came away from that a little more equipped, I guess, to, to be part of the racing community? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was great. I had a great time. I liked that we got six matches guaranteed. I think that was new in the year that I joined was that it yeah. wasn't like, like double elimination or single elimination or whatever it was. You got six rounds of Swiss and then they put everybody in a bracket. Um, Right. So, you know, so there was four different brackets, which still exist to this day. And the thing I didn't like was that it was single elimination, like best of one series in the brackets. But I was like, you know what? I got seven or eight races and that's more than, you know, that's oh, yeah. more than fine. And I'm, I'm very happy with it. Like it would have been nice to have best of three. And I think they started that the next season or the next year. But yeah, I think uh, we removed was, having the mentor in brackets to try to make it where they could have like the runners could have a best of three. Because at that point, I think you guys still had mentors like going into part of brackets, at least if my memory is correct. Yeah, I do remember having mentor in the brackets now that you bring it up because of my race against Leoria, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which okay. she, she will uh, uh, have beef with me forever not really beef but it's like a friendly uh rivalry because she uh, her and i were paired up in brackets i think it was the first round and uh it was super jet seed right like um like i said i'm gonna check hype cave because what if samaria is needed for the big key <laughs> it was like i'm wow. on my way to, i'm on my way to go mode swamp I'm going to check hype cave real quick in case Samaria is needed. Like that was pretty how dense. Yeah. So. so I, and both of us did that. We both got Samaria, but then on the way up to Ganon's tower, I said, well, I'm going to climb in the dark world because I can get super bunny on the way. Mm -hmm. And those had the silvers and she did not do that. But I remember oh, telling man. my, telling my mentor, I'm going to check these two chests like there's nothing you can do to stop me or something like that. Like I was like, do you think yeah. it's a good idea? And he was like, I don't know. I was like, it's a good idea. Yes. It's a good idea. It's my idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's the thing is like the mentors are always there for a little bit of like, you know, self checking, but yeah. it's your race. So yeah, you do what yeah. you want in, in a way. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've never seen someone do it, but I, I would kind of love to see someone just being like, you know, mentor me and then just do the opposite of whatever they say. That would be a little comical and it'd be really funny if it worked out. So I think you um, should not dip 
bowless pendant Eastern. And yeah. <laughs> On my way. <laughs> um, so, you know, yeah, they, they were like, yeah, do what you want to do. Like whatever makes you comfortable. And I guess I forget exactly, but Leo was like, Oh, I didn't think about it in time or whatever, or I, yeah. I decided it wasn't worth it. And I say I was ahead going up the climb and she says she was ahead. Um, but Silver's definitely saved me a lot of time on the Ganon fight. So oh, yeah. I, I definitely did pull ahead. It was a very close race. Uh, I guess we'll have to go check the tape to see if, if I was, because I swear I was ahead going up the gauntlet anyway. So it's like, um, there was. It's, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those, like, we don't know, but <laughs> we will, I'll take your word on it. You were ahead and Leo <laughs> yeah. was not. So, it, you know, the silvers didn't matter. You were going to win yeah. anyway. But she got uh, her sort of like pseudo revenge. A uh, couple years later, Kazden and I were in a Challenge Cup race. Maybe it was like the next year or the same year. And mm-hmm. uh, we both were like in go mode at very similar times. And Kazden decided to check a couple chests in Swamp on the way in case Silver showed up. And I did not. And, and then Kazden beat me by like 30 seconds. So since Kazden is Leo's teammate, she was very excited for that to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, I um, forgot we had uh, mentors in brackets until until right there. Yeah, we. Uh, I think that was kind of a change, like I said, a little bit after that. But um, kind of looking ahead here, you know, I'm looking at your experience in the ALTTPR League and you've kind of been on a uh, a somewhat vast uh amount of you know or ha- i guess i should say you've had a vast amount of of teammates uh started out with we need a mentor with you know vortex and scruple um how how was that experience like i guess you know being with some of the people from the mentor tournament and you know jumping in to you know your first like i don't want to say real competition but i i think you know what i'm going or yeah. going for with that yeah it was good because i was geared up to be playing in the mentor tournament. Like I was practicing whatever theoretical modes they would have. And then the surprise fall 2020, excuse me, fall 2020 announcement was that league or the main tournament would be delayed and league was taking its place. So then Mm -hmm. kind of like, Oh, we have to like pair up or team up with some people and Scruple and Vortex were like, let's do a little mentor mentor tournament alumni team and yeah we had a we had a pretty good time i think we were like we made the playoffs but we um didn't have much didn't have much luck in the in the playoffs there and and got swept gotcha so then um you know season four you kind of jump ship and off to amish paradise you go um and it looks like that team has been pretty consistent seasons four through six uh playing with zeronix and uh, Danny Music. I mean, last year you guys in season five, you know, qualified for um, uh, for the the I guess like the Invitational. Uh, how was that experience for you? It was uh, it was a lot of fun to to play with them. I for the second season that I played, which was season four, I was a little late on deciding if I wanted to actually play league again. So okay. by that time, Scoople and Vortex had like moved on to a, they'd found a teammate who was committed. <laughs> so I was very late and I uh, was, right. you know, talking with some friends, how do I get onto uh, a team? Do you, you know, anyone still looking? And uh, my friend Jawsome Sauce was like, 
well, I am on a team, but I think I don't have the time this fall. So um, mm-hmm. he was like, we are very similar players. I think you'd fit in really well with these dudes. And yeah, I got paired up with uh, Zero Nix and Danny Music and just had a blast. Like we actually have a lot of similar interests and things like that. Like we're all really good friends now, including Jaws. Uh, who is our like pseudo coach. <laughs> so it's yeah, just yeah. like, it's like so much fun to play Randall with your friends. Right. So the co-op modes are my favorite ones in the league. Uh, when you get to sit there and you're not like in your uh, isolation chamber as it were <laughs> of like your oh, 10 yeah. minute delay and you're just like second guessing everything you do. So uh, it was kind of nice that, you know, we were on the cusp of making playoffs, but uh, just missed it the first season we were together. But like, you know, we just kept hanging out and we really gelled as a team that season. And I think the modes suit us as well, suited us as well. Like the modes, you know, the other seasons oh, that yeah. we played weren't, weren't great for us. Uh, just the small little changes they made here and there, but we really uh, took, took advantage of, of our. Uh, your strengths and your skill yeah, sets, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our strengths for the, for those modes and, and our likeness of those modes. Like, like I like inverted. I like Androsia. I'm kind of weird. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Swordless? Uh, I was glad to not play it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, ha- I had to ask because, like, the, the season you know that you guys did make that run, uh, and you know, was the season that uh, you know arguably uh, had literally the worst modes people would ever say <laughs> that we, we did as admins. And I, 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 you know, for the vast community, I can't say that they're wrong. Um, you know, in that regard, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really, I don't know. It's been kind of funny to see like, you know, the, the success of, of people in those, uh, you know, last year and this year invitational open, uh, versus like how things have kind of like evened out a little bit now. Uh, you know, uh, like there's no, there's no, even like in invitational, there's no like head and shoulders, like standing above the rest, which was really cool. I think and made it really exciting. Um, I, I want to fast forward. You guys uh, played Invitational this this season. How, how was your Invitational experience? Uh, it was it was nice to to hang out. Like we didn't have the wins that we wanted. You know, uh, we did get relegated, right. but we, you know, we still <laughs> had had fun uh, as a team. I would think. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad yeah. to hear you had fun. Like I always feel bad when people get relegated. It's like a, like my least favorite part of of running the league. Um, but you know, hearing people say that they still had fun, I think, you know, it's, it's a nice, in my head, it's a nice consolation prize for them. You know, that I don't want anybody to say, well, we got relegated and I was miserable the entire time. Cause that's, that's no fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I, when we got our matchups, I was like, you know, there's some teams that we just couldn't beat in X, Y, Z mode. And I think we have a decent chance of beating every team in our, in our matchups, you know, individually or, or as co-op in every week. So it's like, we, we didn't start mm-hmm. on a, we started on a positive note, you know, we were like, you know, we could take this team and that or that or that, you know, maybe, maybe if we played different teams in different weeks, it would be like, we just got to show up, but we, we showed up yeah. to win. And my, my whole philosophy with racing one-on-one is like, if you think you can win, you can win. But if you go in thinking there's no way I can ever, ever, ever beat this person, like you're never going to win. You're, always going to lose like that comes from my uh experience with like sports and competitiveness is like you have to be confident 
you know, cautiously confident about your abilities because yeah. you, you need, you need to, you know, live in the real world. You can't go 82 and O or whatever. You can't win every game, every season, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, you, you need to be confident in yourself and say, I've worked hard and practiced and these, this is what I can do. And here's my strengths. And I'm going to avoid the things that are my weaknesses maybe. And yeah, that's, that's, that's that's to be the way to compete, and then at the end of the day, whatever happens happens. Like I yeah, go to sleep sure. every night knowing that I did my best the, the day before. So I, I almost interrupted you to say when you said if you go into it thinking you can't win, uh, I was gonna say you're wrong because um, I, I do that a lot. But what the the real like taking a moment to think that over? It's kind of like I may think that leading into a race. But once I start playing, like I, I, my mindset, even like the big tough matchups, my mindset changes. Um, and I, I think it's more of like a coping mechanism uh, for me. But everyone has their own mentality going into races. And they could be, you know, obviously comp- competition, like we talked about, can have its highs, its lows, and it can be stressful. Um, on that note, uh, you, you mentioned to me when I extended this interview uh, invitation to you, that uh, you may be taking a step back from competitive racing. Uh, Is that kind of correlated to just life being complicated or is that maybe a a mixture of many things as far as like how, you know, how the the time investment or, or, or other options, I guess uh, with, with racing. Yeah. It's sort of like 10% IRL stuff. Just need to focus more on some things and it's, Mm -hmm. The other 90% is like, I'm not really happy about the fast ROM that they're going with. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I was very happy that the turn of, uh, main tournament, or sorry, league, decided to go with the slow ROM. Or, uh, I was too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was happy to see SGL did that, even though I didn't go out there and participate. Because uh, I've played a few of them. And I, I mean, you know, this is my personal opinion. And, I know that a lot of people don't share it, but it feels like a different game to me um, with with respect to some of the some of the areas. Like I know, randomizer has changed a lot. Like we have quick swap, uh, yeah, things like that that are I would call more like quality of life. Um, mm-hmm. But like when you have the fast ROM and there's little to no lag in some of the areas, uh, I'm like that's just like the skill. F- floor has been raised and i think that if the new people coming to the game might not realize that and they're going to be like oh that game is harder than i thought i'm never going to play this again or something like that like they might not even know why but they're gonna say i'm not interested in this because it feels like a different game or whatever like that Mm -hmm. and you know we need to be including everybody i think <laughs> you know oh yeah uh, well, sure. welcoming everyone in there's always new generation like you know when somebody leaves somebody should come in things like that or or no one even has to leave for new people to come in you know the community is always growing um so it was it was sort of like i've been thinking about do i want to be racing competitively after this season and things like that and i think that that fast romp thing is mainly the thing that mm-hmm. sort of sort of pushed me over there like i still We'll play it. I'll still generate seeds. I think um, I will hang out and 
uh, still have a good you know, time. Have, yeah. Casual race with friends. <laughs> I want to still do commentary for races and, and things like that. Uh, I might even stream just not even have a timer up, things like that. But I just don't, sure. don't, don't think that I need to be competing one-on-one anymore. Maybe I'll do co-op if there's like co-op tournaments. Um, cause it's, oh, yeah. as I was saying, it's so, it's so much more fun, uh, playing with a friend like when you can talk with them about it uh and it's not even the the like last locating together thing is fun because <laughs> we did that a yeah. lot in this last league it was like well we last located but we did it pretty quickly because it was two of us <laughs> so um it, there's there's uh there's joy in uh you know in in the company with misery i guess is one way to put it yeah uh, i butchered the saying but you know uh <laughs> well, I, I'll say I hate I hate to hear that you want to stay. I, I say this to everybody that you know tells me I, I'm going to stop playing competitively. I, but I do hate to hear that you want to do that. But I respect it because you know a lot of times people will continue a hobby, not just this one. You know, well beyond the point of them having fun. Uh, yeah. You know, they'll say, "Well, I, I've got to keep racing. I've got <laughs> to do this." Uh, you know, and there's no. I, I don't think with Rando there's a I I've got to. Um, Cause like even, even the few people who, you know, have this as like, we'll say their day job streaming. I don't think they have to enter tournaments. I think they do it because it's fun uh, for them. So like, they just have to play the game for that. And you know, fun is the main goal. And so I hope whatever you decide to do with the game, you know, after, after league, uh, you still have some fun with it. Thanks. Dude. I appreciate that. Yeah. There's, that is why I kept playing it when I, or when I first got interested in it, just because that seems like fun. I'm having fun. You know, these, these are oh, fun yeah. things to be doing. So yeah, I, I hope, I hope that I continue to have fun as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want everybody to have fun, you know, uh, and maybe take it a, a little less serious sometimes, uh, myself included. But, um, I, I want to ask you the three questions I ask everybody, uh, kind of wrapping things up. So, uh, what is your most embarrassing moment in randomizer that you're willing to talk about? <laughs> Um, well, I would say that's probably when I was kind of new, I think I was like fresh out of the mentor tournament. I did a ladder race. It was like mystery and, you know, mystery mm-hmm. does tend to be low percent things. It was something like two crystal fast Ganon or something. So it was like, get your dark world access, get a fire source and master sword and go be Ganon. And wow. Yeah, so I feel like I was in the Ganon fight at like 25 minutes with like Master Sword Lamp or whatever. Yeah. And I wasn't very practiced at that. And I spent literally like 30 minutes just dying over and over and over and over again. Oh, and no. uh, I lost the race by like 15 minutes, right? So if I'd done it even in my first like four or five or six attempts, I would have been, you know, I would have had mm-hmm. a victory. And I was like, I was very embarrassed even though nobody, no one was probably watching my stream at all. <laughs> but I was like, nah, man, like, I got to practice this Master Sword Ganon fight. So next time it comes up, I'm not, don't make a fool of myself. Um, but I was like, you know, because it's not like I like last located something and then lost by 15 yeah. minutes. It was because I didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't practice Master Sword Four Heart Ganon enough. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, how often does that come up? It's like next right. to never. But yeah. But then on top of it, like you could have, I don't know. You could have 10 or 12 hearts and you know, master sword Ganon is literally like the hardest thing, especially when you die one time, when you die one time, it's like, that is, that is the heaviest train to pick back up and put on the rails. Um, at least, at least in my experience and like pretty much everyone I've talked to, 
that brings up Master Sword, you know, Master Sword Silverless Ganon, like when it comes off the rails, it's 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 the same kind of the mental aspect of getting it back in line is the hardest thing to do. I, I mean, I'm proud of you for finishing out. Uh, I don't know if that's any consolation, but, uh, you know, I, I did finish in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's something to be proud of. I think <laughs> that, that is before I had turned on pings for uh, opponent finishing. Oh, so I, okay. feel, I feel like I would have quit, but I'm, I'm, you know, in hindsight, glad that I finished because it was like, can you actually do oh, this? Yeah. And then I ended up doing it. Um, and then, of course, I had to practice it a bunch. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, favorite MSU pack. Do you have one? Do you use MSUs when you play uh, Rando? Yeah, it's great. Every once in a while, I would go back to the vanilla music, but I think MSUs are a great way to make the game feel fresh. And uh, I really like using my teammate Danny Music's MSU pack. His band, The Game Brass, made a link to the brass, which is like, okay, note, yeah. it's a note for note re-recording of the original soundtrack with their brass band. Um. Yeah, or, I've, I've I've used that one. I've heard that one. I love it. Yeah, uh, it's it's really good. Yeah, uh, to say the least. So, uh, very quality. Um, yeah. And lastly, this is this is the hard question that always gets you know people <laughs> thinking. Uh, you're laughing because I know you told me you'd listen to a few of these, so you probably know what's coming. But if you had to lose all your gaming memories, uh, but you were allowed to keep one of them, which one would you keep and why? I do remember, I think, yeah, I do remember, I would think I would keep this memory from when I was in elementary school, because I said I played Super Mario World. That was like the only game I had. Uh, mm -hmm. I was over at like a friend's house one night and he was like, we can't beat this game. It's so hard. And his sister was like, we can't beat this game. And it, his dad was like, this game is so hard. And I was like, I got this. And I like went there and I beat Bowser <laughs> and they, they were the whole family was like, Oh my God, that's so cool. And they were like giving me <laughs> high fives. Like, like to me, like I was however old third grade or something like that. And the dad thought I was like the coolest guy in the world. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm better at this game than like an adult who should like be good at everything. Right. <laughs> I thought. And so that was always uh, kind of a fun memory that I have of, uh, that's pretty you know, awesome. I mean, that's it's not that tough a game if you know how to do it. But since I'd already beaten it before, I I did I did know how to do that, and I impressed the oh, whole yeah. family. <laughs> and you feel like the king, you know, at that point, especially like in, in the the late eighties, early, or I guess I should say the nineties. Uh, it is Super Mario World after all. Yeah. Um. You know, you do. Uh, yeah. You feel. I don't know. There wasn't social media, so it's like it, it just felt like somebody smashed the like button like a thousand times for you. Um, right. Being able to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. It was like my own little private Twitch chat. Uh, it was just the three of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a really good comparison. I love it. Uh, well, Dapper Warman, thank you so much um, for coming on. Uh, anything you want to plug or, uh, uh, or shout out? Uh, just be nice. Be kind to everybody. Uh, those are, those are fantastic words. Again, thanks for coming on, man. And, um, Looking Thanks forward for to seeing me. you around in the community, and I'm hoping uh, hoping to see you still around, even if you're not racing a whole lot. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, this has been Dapper Worm Man on the Spoiler Log.
once again, a big thank you to Dapper Worm Man for coming on the show and being so open with his story. I thought it was fantastic and hope you guys did too. I've got a couple guests lined up. We're going to branch out just a little bit. You know, Speed Gaming Live kind of gave me the itch to talk to some some other people. And I think we're going to scratch that a little bit in these upcoming episodes. But as I'm ironing out the guest list, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode as well as all the others. I do thank you guys again for listening. A reminder, we could use reviews if you guys feel so inclined. I would love to see that on the iTunes platform as well as Spotify and wherever I guess you can leave a review. We'll see you guys in two weeks for another episode. Until then, take care.